0: Let's begin with a word of prayer. My prayer this morning, Father, is a simple one, that you would give me a heart for your word and a word for our hearts. Amen. In the scripture we read today, it said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your Now, some of you want to add strength, and that's what De- Deuteronomy 6, 5 says, love the the Lord with all your soul, your might, your, your soul and your might, your strength. But we're just going to work with Luke today. And so in your notes, you're going to have to have three Greek words. The first one is super easy. It's cardi,a K-A-R-D-I-A. If you change the K to a C and you see a cardiologist, that is the Greek word for heart. There you go. Now... I'm glad Vicky's not here because this is a bad joke, but my heart is bigger than other people's. That's why I have to go see the cardiologist. But not Okay, moving on. <laughs> now, for the Greeks, the heart was the seat of your emotions. In fact, if you ever go to an acting class, they tell you to do your emotions on stage leading from here. So anger looks like this. See, you're leading from here. Love looks like this. All the emotions come from here. Even when you're acting, they come from your heart. So, Jesus says, "Love the Lord your God with all your emotions." But I thought love was an emotion. Ah, see to the Greeks, love was a noun, a verb and something else. I just went out of my head. I had a long night too watching the American women beat the Japanese in in basketball. So, the seat of emotion, love your Lord your God with all your emotions. Can you love God with your anger? Well, sure, the Bible says be angry and sin not. Can you love God with your grief? It says that he collects our tears in a bottle. Yes, you can love God with your grief. Can you love him with your joy and your praise? Of course. Who doesn't want to celebrate with you when you have a a praise report? So Jesus says, love God with all your heart, your cardia. Our next Greek word is psyche, P-S-Y-C-H-E, psyche. From where we get the word, psychology. I always go over this with my students the first day of class. Psyche was uh, the center of your conscience, your morals. It's what makes you uniquely you. Um, Raise your hand if you have two feet. Good. Two eyes, two ears, one nose. Good. Most of your teeth. Okay, right. There we go. We are all similarly built and yet completely different. I'm I'm glad that I'm the pastor today because the last time I sang, uh, because he lives at a church, the pastor got up and said, that was delightful. Let's join Doc in the last chorus. Well, Kara will tell you that I sang it a fifth higher than you do. So by the time they got to the high note, the entire congregation was straining to hit the note and turning red. Right? We all have different talents and abilities that come from the person that God made us to be. Your psyche is what makes you uniquely you. Psychology. So the Greeks would have said that that was the center of your conscience and your morals, but it's it's really the center of you. The last word is davoia, D-A-V-O-I-A. That's the mind of the thought. That's the one that your, your thoughts, and I want you to hear this, are different than your emotions. And sometimes your thoughts are contrary to your conscience or your morals. If they weren't contra- contrary to your conscience or your morals, more I can't talk this morning, morals, you would never sin. Sin is when you know what's right and you do what isn't right. There's a There's a tension there between this and this. Can we just nod if we agree? Now, Jesus says, love God with your emotions, your morals, your conscience, and your thought, with your entire being. And then I have to ask myself, well, what does it mean to love God? So I want to jump over to that part. We sort of did the end of the verse before we did the beginning. Let's talk about love. Uh I may actually call this sermon, call your mother. Because you get to a certain age and your kids grow up and they move away and they have kids of their own and you want them to call. My mother wants me to call, right? I want Benjamin, Jonathan, and Diana to call. I hope they're listening, right? When they get older, they'll want Kaylee, that, there's six of them now. We've got one more coming in February. That'll be number six, they, they will want all six to call, and there comes this disconnect. Now, if you're a parent or a grandparent, just nod, because you know what this disconnect feels like, and you want them to call. And then some smart-aleck person, perhaps your son with a doctorate in psychology, says, well, Mom, the phone works both ways. She doesn't want to hear that. Why? Because there comes a point when saying I love you means picking up the phone and calling the other person. I want you to hear this, that love is not something you feel. It's not only something you feel, it's something that you do. Now, I worked with teenagers the last couple of weeks, you know I was at camp, and I always like to make clear to teenagers the difference between attraction and love. In fact, in our media, movies, songs, we talk about attraction and we call it love. So let me teach you a little bit about attraction, and I'm I'm sorry, this feels more like a college class than usual, but there are five things that happen when you're attracted to somebody. Now, here's how it works. The first thing that has to happen, if you have to be in proximity to the person. It's hard to fall in love with the person that you're not near. So, whenever I have the opportunity to direct a high school musical, the first thing I do is tell them not to fall in love with their co-star. Because they're gonna spend the next four, six weeks, two, three months, wedded at the hip. And if it's a good musical, they're probably gonna fall in love with the musical. And when you spend all that time with somebody, you begin to notice them. Uh, When we were at work camp and the kids were working on buildings, I said, it's Wednesday, I bet you're noticing but that, that person really looks good in Spackle. Right? Yeah. Why? You've never had the opportunity to be that near to that person for that long, and you notice them. The second thing that happens is familiarity. Spell the word familiar and then just add ity on the end. Familiarity. Now here's what happens: you're getting next to them, be it at school, at church, at choir any place that you could meet a person with whom you could be attracted, and you're, you begin to notice, oh, they like the same candy bar I like, or they have the same water bottle I do, or the same sneakers, or, oh, they, they have the same love for Mozart or Beethoven or Verdi that I do. And you begin to notice the things you have in common, which leads us to the third step, which is similarity. So first we get familiar with them, and then we really look for the things that are similar. In fact, I have a friend who calls this the warped board feeling of being in love. He says whenever he meets with a couple before they get married, they always sigh with stars in their eyes, and they go, oh, we have so much in common. We like this and this and this and this and this. And he says if you go down to Home Depot and you want to buy two two two-by-fours, And you lay them next to each other, even though they've been plain straight, they don't go perfectly flat next to each other. They only touch in certain spots. He says in a new relationship, when they're attracted to each other, all they see are the places where their lives meet. Not in the places where their lives don't meet. And then after they get married, they're surprised because they thought they had everything in common. Now, he says what happens to that board is that over time, the carpenter will plane it and sand it. And if need be, will glue it and clamp it because pressure will make it truly smooth and next to the other one. Well, what does life do to us? It sands us, it planes us, and sometimes the pressure pushes us together. So step number three in this process is similarity. The next one is called needs slash complimentary. Needs slash complimentary. Now, what does that mean? That means, well, let's say you go back to college, and now you know that there's this plan to getting attracted to somebody, and you make sure you're the last person to go to class. And you scope out the room for the best-looking person in the room. And what do you do? You plant yourself next to them. And then you're there two, three times a week taking notes and maybe you notice that they miss one week. So you very nicely photocopy your notes, right? And when they come in next week, you say, I saw you, you missed class. I made a copy of my notes for you. (gasps) Oh, they say, isn't that wonderful? Thank you. Oh, by the way, and I also noticed you were running late and I, I saw that you had hazelnut tea from Starbucks. I picked you up a cup. What are you doing? You're now making deposits in their love bank, right? And making them notice that you have the ability to meet their needs. And the last one is called the reciprocity. I will spell that for you. A reciprocity. R E C R E C I R-E-C-I, P R O recipro, and then just the word city. Reciprocity of liking. Now, I'm not going to pick on Vicky because she's not here. But if you've noticed, one of us is more smitten than the other. Have you noticed that? I hear that laughter in the back. Okay. Is the person who's more smitten in the room or out of the room? In the room. It's rarely an even balance. There's always one person that is more smitten than the other. And psychology tells us that if somebody consistently likes you and likes you and likes you, it's harder and harder for you not to like them. Now, I want you to think about this. God says, come to my temple and get to know me. If you want to know God, you need to be in proximity to God and God's word and his people. The second thing he says is learn about me. Read the book. Be familiar with the things that I've done in the past. Because I've done them in the past, there's a good chance I'll do them in the future. Then what does he say? He says, I love you. I love each and every one of you. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. He says, I love you, I love you, I love you. So much that I've done, and there's a long list of things that he's done for us. And we love the people around us. God says, I love you like you love the people around you. Then he says, in the 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He says, trust in me and I will meet your needs. And finally, the toughest one is when Jesus said, while we were yet sinners, well, Paul said it, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In the reciprocity of liking, who loves more, God or us? I want you to think about that. God loves you more than you could ever love God back. Now, if you were a good Baptist, that would be an amen. You're scared of the Baptists. There we go. So, here's where I want to challenge you, because attraction can make people think they're in love. But being in love is doing the things that people in love do. So, Thursday, we raked the lake. You may think that's an odd thing to do, to take a rake to your lake, but every now and then the weeds grow up, and then people who aren't familiar with lake life look and go, Ew, I'm not getting in. And we've got a couple big barbecues coming up, so yes... Vicki and I took a leaf rake and a garden rake and we raked piles of pond grass, lake grass, on the dock. And yesterday, she had to go babysit the grandkids and I was reading a good book. And the last thing I wanted to do was take the wheelbarrow down and shovel up the pond muck and the... And I said, oh, I love Vicky. And I'll tell you, if you're really in love, sometimes you say it like that. It wasn't, I love Vicky and I want to go shovel pond scum. It was, I love Vicky and because I love Vicky, I took the wheelbar down and I shoveled up all the pond scum, which actually worked out well because we got a surprise call yesterday and the grandkids wanted to come swim in the lake. So there was no pond scum on the dock to clean up. But sometimes you have to do the things you don't want to do or that are inconvenient or take time away from the things you want to do to tell somebody that you love them. In other words, you have to call your mother. Your heavenly father says, coming to church and being attracted to me is not enough. Coming to church and being in love with me means taking that love, here we go again, out the doors of the church and into the community. Why? Because Jesus said, and the second commandment is like unto the first. Sorry, I memorized King James when I was a kid. The second is like unto the first love your neighbor as yourself. To paraphrase St. Augustine, St. Augustine said, you do not truly understand the scriptures unless it propels you to love God and your neighbor. Now, you may have heard this story before. It's a true story. I am in the story. So when I was in college, met a girl, pretty girl, and she had a car. Now, back in the 70s, if you met a girl in college that had a car... You were doing well because most of us didn't have a car, and that meant you could leave campus and go do stuff. So her name was Chris, and Chris and I could go bowling, and we could go to the movies. We could go out to Denny's. We could go see the Mahoney Brothers. Now, some of you might not remember who the Mahoney Brothers are. The Mahoney Brothers were the band that became Beatlemania. Before there was a Beatlemania, there was the Mahoney Brothers. We went to see them. We went everywhere. One day she says, I'm going to take you out to a special place. I'm like, okay, you got the car, off we go. And uh, we were up in Princeton, so we went out past the sod farms, out past tomato farms, and we wound up in the middle of a cornfield. She stopped the car. I looked around. She turned in the seat and she said, uh, do you like me? I said, well, sure. I like you. And she says, well, why haven't you kissed me? I said, well, I didn't want to be too forward. And uh, she's thinking, well, it's been weeks, but I I, I didn't kiss somebody, even Vicky until I was fairly certain I was allowed to. She says, well, You have two choices. You can kiss me, or you can walk home. (laughs) That, my friends, is the difference between attraction and love. Now, you're probably wondering, of course I kissed her. I'm not an idiot. A pretty girl (laughs) says, please kiss me. I'm in. But I want you to hear... That as much as we laugh at our parents wanting us to call and as as much as God constantly calls us through his word and his Holy Spirit to be in a relationship, to not just be hearers of the word, to, to be doers of the word, most of us are sitting in the car in a cornfield and we haven't made that commitment. Now we've talked about this before, but I'll review it again quickly. What does that commitment look like? Most Christians, according to the book Christian Atheists, are at that first line of faith. You remember this? They say, I believe in Jesus as long as it benefits me. That second line of faith says, I believe in Jesus as long as it doesn't inconvenience me, cost me too much, interfere with my life. And only that third step is when you say, I want Jesus to interfere with my whole life. We're talking attraction, attraction, and love. Your Heavenly Father today wants you to talk to Him. He wants you to call Him, and He wants you to say this. Heavenly Father, I love you with all my heart. Help me to love you with all my life. Instead of call your mother, perhaps the sermon should be called call your father. Amen.